This episode is sponsored by Apollo, a tool that's helping me to open doors and close deals faster. Wanted to share it with you. Apollo is a complete end-to-end sales platform, letting you email, dial, connect on social, build plays, and schedule meetings. With conversational intelligence, transcribing my calls lately, and reminding me to act on my next steps to drive deals across the finish line, it's been a lifesaver. It's no wonder Apollo is the most loved sales tool on the planet. Thousands of users rank Apollo as a top tool on G2. Start today completely free and see how Jesse and I use Apollo. Sign up in the show notes below or at thesalesplayers.com forward slash Apollo. That's thesalesplayers.com forward slash A-P-O-L-L-O to start your free trial. If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSurf5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSurf5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest. She's someone who's not only a close friend of mine, but also a mentor and tech recruiter who helped me land a very pivotal position in my earlier career. Christine Cool is the host and founder of the Art of Hiring podcast, which she recently kicked off. She's a managing director at Vantage Partners and the owner of Austin Search Partners. And again, she and I go way back We get into some detail today on her perspectives on hiring, recruiting in the industry today, how you can evaluate opportunities in 2023, and some things to think about as you're going through uh, an interview process or a deal cycle. She's done everything. She's been a seller, a recruiter, she's been in product, she's an attorney, and it was just an amazing conversation. I'm so glad she was able to join us and share uh, some of her insights on the industry and speak to some of her experience working with some of the top people in this business. So without further ado, welcome Christine to the podcast. Hey, Christine, welcome. Hey, Jesse, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for coming on the show. I know we've talked about doing this for quite a while and it's it's really cool to have you on. Uh, I'm most excited because we've known each other for quite a long time um, and I'll get into that story here in a little bit. But I think you have a lot of really interesting insights into the tech industry, into the recruiting world, and also into the sales world. So I'm really pumped to have you on. What I always do to get the the episode started is I want to go back to the beginning. How did you get your start uh, in tech? Or if you care to go back further than that, we're always open to hearing origin stories. Sure. Sure. Well, I've been in high tech for a long time since I graduated from college and I was in the Bay Area uh, for 
about 20 years uh, before leaving the Bay Area uh, or leaving California and coming to Austin, Texas, which is where I am now. Um, my origin story, I really was a tech uh, undergrad. I had a CS degree. Um, I went to Silicon Valley to pursue the, you know, the dream of working in Silicon Valley. And this was uh, in the early days. I've been through a couple of different uh, business cycles uh, then, and I fell into recruiting sometime about 10 years into my career already. And by then I had, um, I had transitioned from being uh, in the engineering side to product management, which you know, is a very natural transition, taking that, that uh, skill and transitioning over right. to product management. I then you know, transitioned over to marketing uh, and managing channels, and eventually fell into recruiting. Um, I fell into executive retained search, which is where I got a lot of my training. Uh, at that point, I had a couple of mentors. Uh, one of them said, you know, you have a really good skill around uh, building networks and uh, building relationships. Have you ever considered uh, something in sales? I, uh, I remember getting into my first sales role. It was a very entrepreneurial venture. Um, yeah. And the uh, the VP said, I think you're the person that can do this. It's very entrepreneurial. You're going to be managing an, a, a new line of business for us. You've got a $1.5 million quota and yeah. uh, you're going to wow. build business based on relationships. And uh, and I tackled it. I did it. Uh, I did a sort of a one person show, but with a lot of marketing resources. Um, so I did that. And from there, I did move into a couple of other uh, sales roles as an AE, as a um, sales professional, um, and eventually uh, fell back into uh, recruiting, which is yeah. where I got uh, my initial start uh, was executive retained search. So I consider myself yeah. today, if I jump forward, as a very versatile recruiting pro right. who's really focused on the client company's success and hiring uh, the right fit. And that's really important to me is, is that I'm not focused on my own success. It's more about the client company. Um, so I, yeah. in now my 15 year career has spanned executive retained search, um, in-house recruiting leadership, and also more recently as a contract recruiter, which is where a yeah. lot of the companies um, really uh, needed with a lot of, the, yeah. uh, especially the startups who weren't prepared to make a huge investment in right. a retained search. Um, right. So I, I built a practice now, a re uh, recruiting practice around those three roles. They're all really different in nature with different goals yeah. in mind, but the foundational of all of them is really geared towards, again, guiding the client company in the right direction. So that's where I am today. Wow. So I want to take, I want to go back. Actually, you mentioned that you spearheaded sort of this, go to market or sales effort at a startup you're at in the Bay Area. Is that right? Yes. Actually, California. Uh, that one was in Southern California, um, okay. uh, where I spent a couple of years uh, before actually coming to Austin. Um, yes. And I know I skipped over that real quickly. <laughs> That's all right. Um, no, no. I just wanted to drill into, you know, back at back at that time, what was what was the playbook uh, for generating business in, in, in that era for tech? Was it yeah. you're just smiling and dialing a bunch of people that were coming in as leads or yeah, tell us a little bit yeah. about what went into that role. Yeah, that's a good question, Jesse. Um, it was a very strategic, creative 
uh, effort. What we were doing, it was called Chamber Clicks. Um, it was a company called Web Visible, which I, I don't think is still in business today. Um, however, um, so the idea was that I was selling, um, selling to chambers of commerce across the U.S. And okay. uh, with these, these chambers of commerce, uh, it was a company that was building websites. So sure. you know, a company building websites for small businesses. Okay. Uh, yeah. So very simple. And the idea was that we were going to use chambers of commerce and tap into their membership, which was all small businesses. And so we looked at uh, the chamber of commerce uh, communities across the U.S. And that was my entire territory. So I strategically put together, um, a, you know, a targeted approach for some of the more influential, larger chambers mm -hmm. of commerce. And then I have a, had a lot of more smaller local ones as well and uh, sort of built our strategy around that. And um, it, it was yeah. a, super interesting. Chambers <laughs> of commerce. I, I don't. That is an interesting buyer any, persona. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I have not heard of anything like this um, uh, other than in benefits, I think, and selling benefits to chambers of commerce and those kinds of uh, partnerships. But it was pretty uh, it was pretty unique. We didn't have a direct competitor. And so what we were doing was um, we would participate with the Chamber of Commerce as a member and we were able to offer then these uh, this yeah. web building service uh, for their for their members, really. And uh, that was the way that I built that pipeline in the first wow. year. Yeah. So a lot of my listeners, they, they don't, they can't imagine a world where there wasn't, you know, outreach or, uh, what's one of the dialers like, like five, nine or one of those auto dialers. And I imagine mm -hmm. in this role that was very targeted. It sounds like it was very strategic outreach and it was probably mostly what phone or were you sending emails also to the chamber of commerce? Well, actually leaders? it wasn't a lot of phone. We did a couple of webinars. So we, we would do nice. what we call okay. today demand generation. Right. Sure. And so it was, Kind of combining my marketing know-how, leveraging my marketing team, um, and then applying uh, the sales strategy uh, to that. But we were doing a lot of webinars and where we were teaching them, we were teaching them about why they wanted to have a website presence. We were dabbling in um, you know, teaching them about SEM, SEO, and this mm -hmm. was the early days. Um, and yeah. so when we would we would uh, do webinars. We developed a lot of really good leads for webinars. And also, I know this sounds um, very traditional, but through referrals. So we yeah. would have one yeah. happy customer, uh, Chamber of Commerce, and we asked them to refer us to five others. And so oh, it works. If you if you satisfy a client, um, I think they're your biggest one of your biggest sources of uh, new business. So yeah. or new leads. Yeah, so, I think that's that's like sadly a forgotten approach. Uh, most reps don't think to ask for a referral. Um, mm -hmm. and I include myself in most reps. Also, I recently asked an existing customer if they would mind, if they wouldn't mind introducing me to someone else in their network. Unfortunately, I got a no, but <laughs> I, re I realized it's something that I should be in the habit of asking and that I wasn't. I think that's brilliant. I think in recruiting, I do the same thing. So whenever I'm pitching opportunities, um, and, uh, if I, you know, a lot of candidates, potential candidates will decline, uh, decline. But at that point I say, I, I just, 
I always respond to every response. And so even if it's a no, I just say, well, thank you for responding. In case you know anyone who would be interested, please let me know or please pass along my information. I have never yeah. heard anyone. I've never heard anyone say no. And I do have people referring once they've turned something down. So I rely on that yeah. too. You've got to keep turning it over. And I think this is a good sales skill too, is Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if they said no, they said something. And that's all I really want right. is I just want some kind of response. Um, but I think a lot of times, um, I think that people get dissuaded by the no. Yeah. And, uh, and they worry yeah, that the bridge is burned. Right. They mm -hmm. worry that the, like, the bridge is burned now and they can't, you can't ever do anything with that person or lead or prospect again. And yeah, you're exactly right. I think that's it's still an opportunity. You still got a resolution, whether it's yes or no, you can still ask that person for referrals. You can still keep them in your network for a future opportunity. I totally agree. Let me, uh, let me ask you this. So you were in the Bay area, I think in a, in an interesting time for the growth of tech. Did, did you ever run into anybody who's now successful and famous in the tech business? <laughs> um, yeah. And yes, if you care to share, maybe you don't, yeah, maybe you don't care to name yeah. names, but you can tell anecdotes I, if possible. Um, let's see if I can tell <laughs> maybe a couple not. anecdotes. Well, I mean, well, uh, for one, I'm pretty proud of, uh, the fact that I, there were a couple things that got me into the right networks. I think, uh, one is that I was on the board of directors for something called forum for women entrepreneurs way back in the uh -huh. day. And I yeah. had a large VC network at the time. And we presented, uh, we vetted and presented and trained, um, I think it was 50. I think we whittled it down to 50 companies, but we took applicants from all over the US and uh, women wow. who were founders of their companies, presented them to 500 VCs in a conference nice. and had them each pitch. Um, yeah, that organization evolved over the next decade, I believe I believe they um, merged or were, the, were acquired by another organization. And um, at some point there was a measurement of 300 million, 380 million that was raised for some number of companies. Really? Um, yeah, just, mm -hmm. so they're, yeah. they're still around today then or they're part of uh, another? Uh, I haven't kept in touch, but the, the, uh, the executive director of that organization, I know she left the country and pursued another opportunity uh, in Europe um, after sure. that. I don't, I have not followed since then. So I think they, I believe they were acquired by another organization. It was a nonprofit organization. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, I'll look into um, it and then, maybe post a link in the show notes. Um, I can go do some sleuthing and see if yeah, I can dig so up where they went. That uh, got me into, and so it's funny uh, today with some of the, some of the companies that came out of that who were yeah. funded, um, I've seen them evolve over the years or or been acquired. Um, I'm not sure how many actually went public from from that. Um, right. From that, I did also join um, a startup, a pre-IPO startup that went public. So yeah. I have gone through an IPO, um, and that was exciting. At the time, I had two opportunities, and this is definitely the one that was the most risky, something sure. I'd never done before, and it paid less than the other <laughs> opportunity I had. And right. I, it was, I was new to this idea of stock options in a pre-IPO company. Um, this was back in the day. Um, yeah. So uh, join that. And it was ultimately very successful. Uh, we went public. We raised wow. a bunch of money um, and uh, kind of went from there. 
Yeah. I'm curious. I know early on in my career, uh, you and I had a conversation. I don't know if you remember this or not, maybe not, but I have a crazy memory. So I remember everything. Um, we were eating at Taco Deli in Austin and we were talking about stock options and I was very new to, to my options. I was, I had just joined a startup, uh, the one that, you know, you recruited me into Uh and I was, I was just, you know, they gave me kind of like a re up on my options. And Uh I think in my head, I was like, Oh, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to get rich. This is going to be the big exit for me. And I remember you kind of sitting me down at the taco deli and you were like, just remember, these are sort of like lottery tickets. Uh, and think of it as kind of the gravy on top. You need to go and sell and make commissions and try to negotiate the best possible compensation across the board. And think of these more as a a lottery ticket because, you know, nine out of 10 of them, And that's even being generous. Nine out of 10 of these startups that you join won't pan out in a way that's even meaningful. And even the ones that do might, Mm -hmm. if you're an individual contributor, might just be a nice vacation or a new car. Mm -hmm. It's not Mm -hmm. going to be a private. So talk to us, I guess, maybe expand on that a little bit more, because this is a question I get a lot. And I, you know, I rarely have a guest that's willing to come on and, and talk about or who has the experience in the you know longevity in the in the industry to talk about those kind of outcomes. We don't have to spend too much time on this, but I think a lot of my listeners are very curious and and I still hear a lot of my younger, uh, I shouldn't say younger, but just more junior listeners who think, oh, I got these options from this company and I'm all mm-hmm. set for life, right? So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about how you sort of examine equity as a compensation piece and how you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it's different if you're a founder of a company, though, and uh, sure. it's very different if you're, you know, on the executive team. I think it's a little bit different uh, than if you are a later employee, right? Um, but it has, it's been used as an incentive for, um, and really as gravy on top, right, of your compensation um, for a lot of companies uh, over the years. Now, mm-hmm. um, what I think um, about you know evaluating the equity or how or their perspective on the equity is that um, you still have to it, when you're in a sales role you're you have direct impact on whether or not that company is going to be successful and I think that's what's really unique I think about sales roles uh, right. it's different than if you were an engineer or you're mark in marketing in sales the more revenue you can drive, the more smart revenue you can drive, let's say, right, for the company and sustainable revenue, um, the more I think you can be confident that your mm-hmm. options may, you know, be worth something. There's not a company out there or a board of directors or investors that say, you know, that's going to disagree with that. Revenue is always going to be a, a part of that. So. Right. What are some things that go into how you'd evaluate if in, in 2023, especially yeah. Yeah. what are some things that would go into the way you'd evaluate which startup to join right now as yeah. a seller or yeah, revenue professional? That's, a, that's yeah. a good question. And, you know, it's so funny. I do remember the early conversations I had with you and others uh, in yeah. uh, when you were considering the opportunity that I had presented versus others. And one of the things, just as a note here is that, for me as a recruiter, um, one thing is that I'm uh, a lot of candidates uh, appreciate is that mm-hmm. they do believe that I am out. I'm interested in their best outcome. It may not be the right. opportunity I presented. I'm not, you know, but I really truly am invest, invested in 
which opportunity fits for them. Most likely it is the opportunity I'm presenting. But anyway, right. so right. Um, in thinking about what whether or not to join a startup, right? I look at it this way. I would say that it's part intuition and part discovery. So you, you can't just mm -hmm. rely on just discovery and the facts. And I use discovery because I think you have to use a lot of your sales skills to qualify the opportunity. Oh, I good. think looking, looking at it like it's a sales opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or prospect opportunity. Um, you know, one of the, a couple of things to note is the founder, the CEO is, has yeah. he or she been a CEO before of a company that's had a successful exit? Is this their first time? And if so, do they have mentors? You know, what's guiding them? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, and I don't know if a lot of uh, candidates do this, a lot of people do this, but ask the people that work for that person, whoever you're going to be working for, what is his or her leadership style? Mm -hmm. um, get examples of that, right? Um, in the sales role, especially, I think that um, I found that sales <laughs> teams are fairly polar in how they feel about their current or former sales leaders. Um, right. And so I don't know if you'd agree with that, but... Um, I, I would say that, yeah, I would say that that's a good measure as to ask people who work for him or her. Um, the other is that I know there's probably a lot of controversy over, you know, is the product something that actually interests you? You know, how interested mm -hmm. are people in selling software, right? Um, I would say this, in, think about it as, is your target prospect someone you really feel a connection with, someone you really feel you want to help? I can't tell you how many times I've heard from a sales um, person, whether I'm there with a vendor that I'm evaluating or a candidate that I'm evaluating for a client, um, when they have a connection to the person that they're pitching to and they, um, and they tell you that, it makes a really strong connection yeah. between the two of you. And so I think that's a good question to ask. Are you, you know, how interested are you in helping an HR leader? you know, find the best. Right, so I want to, yeah, I want to <laughs> comment on that. Cause I think that right there is just golden. Uh, and, and this is something that I've, I've talked about on the show before. And for a lot of my, you know, listeners or, or peers that reach out and ask what to do next, that's usually my first guidance beyond anything else. If you're passionate about who you're selling to and who you're partnering with on deals and those kind of things, then everything else mm -hmm. tends to work itself out. Mm -hmm. Um, and the longer that you've been in a certain category of particularly SaaS sales, the mm -hmm. better you, the better you get at sort of understanding that buyer to the mm -hmm. point where selling becomes, selling is never easy, but it becomes a lot more scalable because you have this industry insight and knowledge that you can bring to the table. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll use myself as an example. And I've done this before on the show. Um, I've actually, you know, stepped away from selling to certain buyer personas because mm -hmm. I just, didn't feel like I resonated very well, or I didn't know that I, I don't know that I understood their worldview very well, um, or what, you know, what problems they wanted to solve. And it just, it was harder to, to sell in a style that I wanted to sell. So most of my listeners know that I, I sell to operations and contact center professionals. Now that's sort of a niche I've carved out for myself since, you know, around 2016, 2017, when I started focusing on CX and, and operations and contact center. And part of the reason I'm really passionate about that category is because for the first three years of my career, I was a contact center, call center agent before I got into tech. That's what I was doing. So I, I have a unique understanding of that world. 
and a little bit of a passion, you know, I shouldn't say a little bit, it's enough of a passion that it, you know, keeps me going in this space. And when I get with the right contact center leader and I can start to talk shop, it makes a huge difference because they can tell, they can tell when a sales rep is like, I'm just in this job because it, you know, it pays well and it, it you know, it pays the bills and, and this is just the best thing I could find. I don't really care to sell the marketers, but here I am. Right. But if yeah. you're someone who's like, no, I've studied, I've read every book on, on by Seth Godin or whatever, and I love yeah. marketing and I want to sell the marketers and help them solve problems. That really does make a huge difference. And, and mm-hmm. the prospects, the buyers can feel that. And I'm sure oh, yeah, you definitely like that too. So I just wanted to drill into that. Cause I think that is such a yeah. good point that no matter what, if you can check that box, yeah. Yes. You should also, as you, as you said, do some discovery, do your due diligence, go with your intuition on evaluating the leadership and those kind of things, but really drive towards who you want to help as part of your selling mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. really passionate about that category. And it will really pay off. Yeah. I think, I think definitely think so. And one other thing to add to that, um, because that's building credibility, right? Um, this is a little bit controversial what I'm going to say, but, um, Let's hear it. some of, some of the, I think some of the best, um, salespeople I have come into contact with are ones that are, like you said, truly invested in helping that person. But here's the thing, Sur- you know, mm-hmm. surface a couple of different uh, solutions for that person. One of them may or may not be your, what you're offering, uh, but you're surfacing a couple of solutions for that person, hoping one your solution, whatever you're pitching, might be one of those, right? But I think right. helping to guide them and what helping them to helping to wait guide them into um, developing a better picture of what they actually need, right? Without yeah. pushing them, there's so much similarity with recruiting as well. Uh, with recruiting, we never tell can, uh, client companies who to hire? Never. That's just rule number one. You don't, you do not push one candidate over the other. And this is the difference in retained search than contingent. We surface them and we help guide them into what are the questions they're at. They need to ask themselves to come up with a solution. Some of the best salespeople I have had, one of their, one of the options may not be their solution, but they help to guide Mm -hmm. me. But you know what? Now I've got them in mind. I'm referring them to three other people. And not only that, um, I might need that solution later down the line as well. Or you look at mm-hmm. the whole breadth of what they're offering and selling services and other related products. I'm going to go back to that person because yeah. they helped me to solve a problem that may or may not have been their solution. That, I think that's a little yeah. bit controversial. Yeah. Uh, I can see some, like I can imagine some opposing points of view to that, but I, I agree with it, <laughs> but I can see why people would, would think that's, that's controversial. But again, you can't be afraid of, of right. hearing no, you can't be yeah. afraid of that. It's I, part of this business yeah. for sure. I, I would say just going back, I want to say one other thing. Um, and I like coming up with whenever somebody asks me things like, well, how do I know what, you know, whether to join this startup or another, um, I will tell candidates um, when they're considering different opportunities and, you know, ask these questions and, and think about and listen mm-hmm. and see what the responses are. One of them is ask the company, what's the worst disaster the company has gone through in the last year or two, you know, barring anything confidential, right? What's the worst disaster, but how did you get through it? Right. Yeah. I remember Ooh, that's um, a good question. That's, that's a really right. good one. Yeah. It's easy to team up when everything's going right, but it's even harder and it's more telling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how people team up when things are bad, when there's a disaster. 
Um, so I think that's a that's a better one. Um, better question, right? So yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, and it, you know, the the thing that I find when I when I talk to a lot of people that are interviewing for a role is they're afraid to ask some of those hard questions because they're afraid that it'll it'll disqualify their their candidacy or their you know ability to get the role because they're asking some of the tougher questions. And my philosophy is especially that you know the earlier the startup you join, really the more tough questions you you should can and should ask. And I think that also carries into you know especially looking back here, we're in early 2023. Even if you're interviewing at a top five tech company, you should still be doing a lot of due diligence and asking a lot of those type types of questions. The one you just said was really amazing. Uh, I'm going to have to work that one into, um, <laughs> you know, my, cause I have a whole kind of standard questions I always ask when I'm interviewing for a role. And I like that one, especially in, you know, the early team stage where you get a good feel for how people problem, you know, problem solve and how they'll work together as a team to get something done. If you're interviewing and a founder doesn't answer that question in a way that gives you a lot of confidence, then I think that's the answer, right? So that's a really good like leading question. I love it. Let me uh, let me shift gears here a little bit. I want to focus now on some, the work that you do as a recruiter, which is how you and I got got you know our how we got introduced and, and I'll met. tell that right. I'll, I'll tell that story just correct me if, if you remember it differently but how I remember it was I I was sitting at my desk at uh, a, co- a company who I won't name <laughs> in Austin and it was it was cubicles and this is back my, in the day when things were not remote yeah I know and that's the other the other thing that I've talked about on the show before which is I was such a beneficiary of being able to to sit in the office, whether that was in, you know, early stage companies in Austin, where I was sitting literally right across from the CEO and founder while they raised $10 million or closed deals with, you know, big yeah. brands, retail yeah. brands. I was such a yeah. beneficiary of that, that I feel like, unfortunately, the industry uh, now with remote is going to, there's going to be a, just a little bit of a downside to be, you know, there's some yeah. upsides, I think of being remote and flexible and there's some positive benefits to it, but the big yeah. downside is most younger, you know, the next generation, I, I keep saying younger, but I just mean, you know, anyone who's coming in behind earlier. In the tech, yeah, yeah, earlier in, in their career, they're missing out on those audible moments where you're listening to, you know, an early founder, CEO, yeah, getting staff, immersed, getting immersed money. conversations. We yeah. used to call water cooler conversations. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Getting pulled into a conference room and listening to this really happened to me once, uh, getting pulled into a conference room and listening to your, your executive team get just completely chewed out by the board of directors. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I was pulled into that. I think, you know, I had, a, I was fortunate that I had a lot of people that said, Hey, this guy seems like he wants to learn what, what goes on behind the closed doors or what, how the sausage is made. So this, so, so to speak. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, I, where I was going with that is so back when, when I was still in the office, this was years ago now, um, I got a cold call at my desk and I remember my manager uh-huh. was sitting just, you know, feet away from me in a cubicle and I pick it up and it's Christine <laughs> and Christine <laughs> saying, this is how I remember it. You were just like, Hey, yeah. th- there's, there's this opportunity here in Austin. It's an early stage startup. They just raised capital. Um, the executive team came from X, successful Mm -hmm. company in Austin that just went public a few years ago. This is a chance to get in on the ground floor and build. Yeah, it was literally the first team. It was going to be the first local office. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, this, this woman has, 
just some, that's a lot of guts to call somebody on their desk well, line and try to recruit them away from that well, job. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny you say that though, Jesse, but um, so this will age me, but back in the day, right. When I got started recruiting and I think this is a really good skill that anyone should develop. If you're in sales, uh, no matter what tools are available to you today, pick up the phone and call. Um, yes. uh, we, I got my start in, we didn't have, uh, LinkedIn. We, um, we would buy research and this is what the retained search business does. We buy research and the research right. is phone list, uh, not even phone list. It's a list of names and the company and the general job title or department. And we have a main number. I mean, if you, if I have to call into a big public company, yeah. all I have is the main number and you have to learn how to ruse. You have to learn to yep. also leave a message for somebody that's going to get a response. Mm -hmm. And so I learned this sort of way of doing a real short pitch that was, um, that I honed, that was yeah. not cheesy, but it was just enough to sound professional and also get a phone call back. So no tricks, there were no yeah. tricks. And I, my approach and my style is just to be more transparent. Um, but I learned, yeah. I learned sales skills that way, just from being able to pitch. And I had a very high response rate. Um, this is back in the day. Uh, yeah. But the same thing applies today. I don't mind picking up the phone to make a call. Uh, today, I don't think it's as welcome making cold calls. <laughs> right. uh, now, right. people would rather have a LinkedIn message and they can answer in their own time. And I respect that. But yeah. um, I think it's a really good skill that people need to, um, you need to just sort of, uh, you know, you need to sort of practice, you know, every yes. now and then. But anyway, so no, that's that's exactly, and it's funny. This week I've been hit, or the last two weeks I've been really hitting the phones hard, like harder than I have in years, and it feels so <laughs> good to get back to navigating a phone tree and trying to get to the yeah, right. That's a good, like, yeah, yeah, like, navigating the phone tree or getting past the EA. Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And even just like you said, leaving a voicemail that, that humanizes you and warrants a response back, which is mm -hmm. hard to get from a cold email. Mm -hmm. So yeah, your, your call was such a standout thing and so gutsy that I think within a few weeks of that conversation, I was probably working at the company. I, I left my job <laughs> and and here, here's the deal. Here's I've shared this before, um, but just to kind of reiterate that that was a pivotal role for me because mm -hmm. where what what that helped me do was get out of the small business sales world. At the, you know in that role, I was closing small business deals, but I had my sights set on how do I get experience working with enterprise brands, mm -hmm. and it was really hard. And I know this is a question a lot of my listeners have: is okay, I'm selling to small these small deals, or I'm an SDR working these small opportunities. How do I get myself positioned to go and learn how a big enterprise works? Mm -hmm. And that suddenly it was like the, you know, the, the fog cleared and I could see this path where, and you had made it really clear in your call. You said, this is going to be working with big box retail brands. You know, the names of these retailers, they're, they're in the malls at the time. There's no mm -hmm. malls now, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, these are, these are brands that, you know, and your parents know, and everybody like this is, these mm -hmm. are household name brands. Mm -hmm. And this is a chance for you to go learn from someone, you know, a group of people. It was really a group of people that have been mm -hmm. doing this for a long time that are, you're going to be right there mm -hmm. on the ground floor. And so I am so glad that I, I took the chance because again, that role 
springboarded me into so many other things that I've done since then, because again, I was in this tiny room in Austin that we, that we worked out of this, this workspace. And I was mm-hmm. sitting with people that had been in the, you know, enterprise business category for many years, who'd seen exits and acquisitions and all kinds of crazy things. And I got to sit front row and hear how mm-hmm. they conducted their business, how they managed their time, how they responded to, you know, adversity. There was a lot of adversity in that business. There was always something on fire <laughs> and it was really educational yeah. to see how people could be so resilient. Leadership could be so resilient. So I'm so yeah. glad that, 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 you know, I'm, I'm so glad you called, I think is the summary <laughs> of what I'm trying to say. I'm so glad that I picked up the phone and got you and that I, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't get it out of my head and just said, I've got to go pursue this. I think yeah. this is something big. Well, and, I think yeah. What, yeah, it's it's funny thinking back to that, but I think what might be uh, useful too is just for me to, uh, or just to chat a bit about what was it about you, right, that made you um, the right candidate for this company, right? And I think yeah, what please. might be interesting too for your listeners is what was I, what were we looking for, right? What were we looking for in a person, right? And we hired yeah. a team a team yeah. of uh, salespeople uh, then at that time. Um, but I was just going to say, and this um, this does relate to why you were one of our top hires uh, there is um, one of the first things that, you know, we're looking, and I'm a proxy for my client companies because I all the recruiting work that I do is retained. So I'm always a proxy right. for the company. And so right. um, when I say we, I mean, me as a recruiter and and the uh, company, but we were looking for the ability to connect with us, right? As a proxy for the prospect or customer and build rapport. So you had that, right? Yeah. Um, we're gauging listening skills and the we're gauging listening skills. Do you re- did you really internalize my question? Are you mm-hmm. building on that? Are you taking that building on it um, in a natural way, right? Um, we're looking for integrity, right? Yeah. But we're also looking for, do they have the qualities that make them, and I call this magnetic, right? I don't mean charisma, magnetic yeah. and believable. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, those are the kinds of things that we are looking for. Wow. Um, even at that level, I mean, this is very, this is earlier in your career, early in your career. Very and early. I would say yeah. that we're still looking for the same things that we're looking for at the leadership level. It's a, it's a basic foundational um, quality that I think is, is it's hard, it's easy to overlook when we're talking about a sales role because you're you're mm-hmm. thinking, well, look, my I'm successful if I if I exceed and meet my quota, right? And I bring revenue right. in and sustainable customers and all of that, right? Sure, there's a sort of hard metrics that in a sales role, but I don't think that you should overlook the uh, amount of emotional intelligence that goes into that, the mm-hmm. ability to look outside yourself, critique yourself. Can you read the room? you know, so to speak. Yeah. And this again goes back to with <laughs> the days when we had offices and you could actually go into a room and you could read, yeah. read the room first. But um, one thing about you that I think is a good quality that um, I think others should, you know, gauge is, are you a good solution finder? And I think you were, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you could look at different ways to solve it. And um, that's what, again, I was saying before was, there might be different ways to solve this, but you've made yourself believable to me. And now mm-hmm. I believe that whatever you're offering me is in my best interest. So yeah. I thought that might be kind of interesting and in that those are the kinds of things that um, made you a good candidate at the time. Um, and hopefully that, you know, those t- kinds of tips can be helpful for your listeners. 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I hadn't heard, you know, too much about what happened behind the scenes, but it's, it's, it's genuinely interesting for me too, to hear what stood out. Um, and yeah, again, I'm, I'm so glad that, that you called and that, that I took the call and that we, you know, history was in the making. Right. And something else I want to emphasize is, you know, th this role, the role that I took at this company wasn't, you know, at the time it wasn't a, a promotion. It was really at best a lateral move from what I was doing. Um, you know, at, at worst, it was maybe even a step back in some ways. Right. But what piqued my interest was, and this was part of your pitch, which was you're going to get hands-on experience working with people that have been doing enterprise deals for a decade or more. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be on the ground level of a startup that's, that's breaking into this retail category, e-commerce category, um, in a way that no one else is doing. And so that it was worth it. It was worth to, you know, it was worth making the move okay. for, let's call it a lateral move because I mm -hmm. knew that the skills I was going to get from that role were actually going to propel future moves. And that, yeah. that turned out to be the case. I'll, I'll say that, you know, this, this company we're referring to, I wouldn't say they went on to be a household tech company per se. Like nobody probably knows who they are really outside of certain categories. Um, you know, they're not in the, the headlines of tech crunch too much, but it doesn't matter because that role taught me some of those skills and got me some of those experiences that helped me get to, you know, future roles yeah. uh, in bigger, more well-known tech companies. Right. So um, very cool. And I know that, you know, you're, you and I share this passion for, startups and launching startups and and going to market and finding the right people that that build sort of the lifeblood of the culture. Um so yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about uh you know the recruiting that that you do for for not only your clients but just kind of over the course of your career. And I think the the question I have for you um because you kind of kicked this off with talking about what what things I brought to the table as a candidate. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. let's expand on that a little bit and and Tell me a little bit about what what's most impressive in a candidate in 2023 at this point in sales specifically. I know you recruit for other titles, but let's focus on on sales. Mm -hmm. And what do you hear from your clients and and partners and such that they're looking for in the right sales candidate? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, let's see. I'm trying to think, there are some things that are um, always going to be important in a sales role, regardless of whether it's 2023 or you know. Um, as compared to the past. Right. Um, one of those I think is just having a good, well, this is very basic, but having good record of past sales metrics, right? Mm -hmm. Just knowing that I'm always wary of, of <laughs> candidates that I see on paper that have no numbers other than phone number and, you know, zip code uh, on the resume. Yeah. Um, even if you were in a uh, BDR role and you're not closing, uh, you know, you're not driving, uh, you don't have a new you know, revenue quota, let's say. Mm -hmm. You had KPIs. You had KPIs. Yeah. And so Absolutely. there are KPIs and there's something measurable. So there's something quantitative, right? So um, I think that's always uh, something to look for is just being aware of that. Um, similar, similarly in recruiting, it's so funny. Um, I've hired recruiters in the past and to work for me and interviewed a lot of them. And yeah. I'm always wary when a recruiter doesn't have their a placement list, uh, placement list being a list of mm -hmm. in your entire career, the company and the job that you filled, right. That you worked right. on. So, you know, and that's a placement yeah. list for us. It's the same thing. It's similar to a sales quota, right. Meeting quota or, or the kinds of deals that you close. So, um, so anyway, that the other is mm -hmm. I think um, foundational training. This is what I was going to say is just 
we a lot of clients are looking for candidates that have good foundational sales training. What kind of methodology are they using, right? Um, and I think that whether you know they have they actually went to a formal sales training or they got coaching, let's say. I know you're doing coaching, and so I think that's always um, very a valuable um, mm-hmm. route to go. Is some kind of coaching or foundational sales training workshops, something yeah. that gives them a sort of discipline and um, process. Uh, this is also very similar to recruiting. I remember way back in the day, I had a mentor who I still work mm-hmm. with today. And he told me when I was very early in my career, he said, he said, we just, you just have to run a good process and that spits out the right result. So think about right. it like a black box, right? You just have to run a good process and, mm-hmm. and that always will produce a good result. And yeah. I'll never forget that because that's how I approach recruiting. Similarly in sales. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I believe that you're, you've got to have some process and, and be confident that if you run the process right, you'll avoid those breakpoints, right? I mean, think about it in sales, right? All the breakpoints uh, in, in the sales process. Um, so I think um, client companies uh, want to know that they had some kind of sales training, right? Mm-hmm. Unless they're doing hiring a whole new sales team, they're hiring in volume and they're going to train them all together. It, you see very, yeah. I see very few of that of that um i don't see a lot of that myself but um that doesn't mean it doesn't exist i think that yeah um trying to think of some other things um that we're looking good just good rapport i always talk to candidates on the phone i don't do zoom meetings with them and i want to gauge what their phone skills are how do they relate to me on the phone yeah and i get a i can draw a lot about a candidate um uh through the phone you have to be able to do that. So yeah. as a recruiter or um, salesperson, I think. I think follow-up's another good one too. That th- this is, yes. in honesty, it's table stakes. It, everyone should be following up very quickly after every round of the interview process. And that's, in my opinion, not even just with the hiring manager or the you know VP of sales or whoever you might meet with on the actual team. But that's also with the recruiter. Because the recruiter, in my experience, is just like in a deal cycle, they're kind of the champion. They are, and I've, I've told this to people before that, that didn't necessarily get what the recruiter's role was in, in, in this process, which is you're a champion for the candidate. Um, and you're able to tell the hiring manager things in a way that removes some of the tension. Right. So -hmm. let me give an example. Mm -hmm. Let's say there's a candidate that has some sort of gap in their experience, and maybe there's a perfectly legitimate, legitimate reason that they have this gap. Sometimes the excuse or the, the not I shouldn't say excuse, but sometimes the explanation of that from the candidate themselves comes mm-hmm. across a little bit choppy, a little bit nervous, maybe not so confident. And the, the hiring manager might pick up on that. Whereas a recruiter can go in and really smooth that over before it's even a problem, just like a, mm-hmm. a champion would do in a deal cycle. They would minimize right. any sort of objections before they're even an objection. That's what, yes. yeah. And that's, that's a good lesson on, you know, big deal selling also is when you have a really good champion, they'll go into the executive leadership and before something's even raised as a concern, they'll address it out of the gate. So the executives think, okay, don't, we don't need to worry about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think recruiters have that ability and I've, I've had recruiters yourself included kind of advocate for me and say, Hey, you know, here's, here's why he was only at 98% attainment one year instead mm-hmm. of 150. Right. Or mm-hmm. here's why there was a three month gap in the resume or whatever that, you know, objection might be. 
Um, and so I think recruiters are great champions. And I've explained this to a lot of people who aren't you know, familiar with how to work with a recruiter to get the right role. Um, and I think that's, that's super important. So I think following up also is just to kind of tie that off, following up with the recruiter to fill them in on, Hey, here's how the conversation went with the hiring manager. Here's the next mm-hmm. steps. Here's the feedback mm-hmm. I got, et cetera. Right. Right. Exactly. I always think of the recruiter as sort of the account manager for the, oh, you that's know, for that one. relationship. Yeah. We're sort of the account manager. I said this to a, um, VP of customer success, uh, hiring exec that I was working with recently is that's my job as the recruiter to be sort of the account manager. So I'm managing the relationship with the candidate and also between the candidate and the company, regardless of whether I'm yeah. internal or external. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what are, let me, and this is a version of the kind of the same question, but let's maybe get some examples. What are, what are some, you know, recent candidates that come to mind that just really knocked it out of the park for some of your clients and what were some of the things that they did? Mm-hmm. Um, let me see in the sales role. Actually, I've yeah, done a sales, couple of sales, sales or sales leadership. development. Yeah. Leadership, sales leadership yeah. roles. Um, there's always a mock session, like a mock pitch session, by the way, I was just gonna mention this too. Uh, I see a lot more of that. And if there isn't, I think companies need to be doing it. I think for yeah. every role. It's not just, I mean, right. we do tech interviews for engineers, you know, we do mock pitch sessions for sales, but there's, you can develop the same kind of uh, assessment for uh, any role. Um, let me see. So I think for the ones that really knocked it out of the park, we did it over Zoom um, and this person met with the panel, right? The panel and we were all execs and this person was able to relate to each one of us and really treat us as if we were sitting in a conference room with him. And that really resonated. He made sure that he was talking with everyone um, in that, Uh, but he knew who the decision makers were and he knew who the champion was in that. Um, And I thought that was, that we did that over zoom. So he had that ability to be able to look us in the eye, right. And do that. If you're not, if other than um, Mm -hmm. that, there were some other things. Um, He had the ability to think strategically, but act tactically. So I think that that can, I I think you have to, um, I think a good skill is being able to look forward strategically, but also look at all the different ways that tactically you can execute along the way and the milestones and hitting those. Yeah. And if you can okay. figure out how to do that as a salesperson, right? And you can relay that, you have to be able to communicate well. Yeah. You have to. That's I think storytelling yeah. comes into play there also, being able yes. to you know, speak to it, but then also provide a specific example as detailed anecdotes. as possible anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even down to the name of the company. What I'll do a lot of times in interviews is I'll, I'll name the executives I've sold to. And fortunately yeah. I've, I've gone, you know, something that I've done in my whole career is I will go and continue nurturing some of these relationships for prospects I've sold to and ask mm-hmm. if they wouldn't mind being a reference at, at some point in the that's future. A good, yeah, absolutely. Actually, that's really good because uh, a lot of client, I was just going to say a lot of companies today, um, that's also a good question if you're interviewing for a company is what would your customers say about, you know, what would your customers say about that company? Right. You can look at it that way too. But um, I think that's a really good, um, 
really good way to do it. We do look for reference customer references for sales roles. Yeah. Sales and customer yep. success roles. So yeah, I've I've got a few that I keep on deck that are ready to to share and I've prepped them with stories too about the work we did together just because people forget. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have a couple of bullets that say, Hey, remember when we did this big deal and this was the, what was at stake and all that stuff. And if, mm -hmm. if, and when a future employer calls, here's the bullets I want, <laughs> you know, I want you to emphasize yeah. on what we work yeah. together. Well, on. you're selling yourself right. as a product. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I think a, a great thing to to do as well is keep, keep the anecdotes and uh, work those anecdotes into anything you're describing about your past performance and then yeah, stories and then any people that can back that up, whether that's a former manager, mentor, advisor, or a customer. So um, just kind of in, in a little bit in closing here, uh, I, I wanted to pose an interesting question because over the years, you and I have talked a lot about the recruiting industry. And, and of course, today we talked a lot about some, so many of the similarities between being a rep and account executive and being uh, a recruiter. Uh, so the question is, do you, do you think former sales reps make good recruiters? That's a good question. Yeah, absolutely. They do. <laughs> <laughs> Recruiting is a lot like sales. Um, yeah. and I think if you've been listening to this podcast, you'll see there are a lot of similarities. Um, there's a lot of qualities that I, we've talked about here, um, that apply to being a good recruiter. Um, to me, sales is about giving your prospects and customers something they're going to be pleased about, right? Something they need. In recruiting, it's the same thing. Your customer is the client company. Um, my job, like I said before, is to surface the possible solutions, right? Which is the qualified candidates and guide the client into selecting the one that fits. Right. I think it's the same way I think about sales. So absolutely. I think that former salespeople not only make good recruiters, I think sales as a skill or as a uh, job can set you up for to do almost anything. I mean, there's so many yeah. other ways to go too, but yeah, absolutely. I think they make the best recruiters. And then maybe just share a little bit about some of the past. Let's, let's say there's someone out there listening who is thinking about making the jump from being a rep to a recruiter. Mm -hmm. And I know you mentioned some of the things you've done like yeah. in-house and, and being a, on retainer or being an independent yeah. uh, recruiter. Tell us about some of the most logical paths that uh, a current rep might take to get to that, that career. Yeah, um, a lot of the larger firms and larger agencies do train the associates and they do like people with a sales background because A, you're not afraid, right, to just get on the phone or email or do cold, cold pitches. Um, but uh, there's some larger firms, boutique firms also, so boutique, you know, uh, firms that um, have a program where they'll take in early associates without any background, they train them. Um, wow. So I think that's, yeah, that's always a good way. You're always going to start with sourcing, which is the same thing as prospecting, right? You're right. always going to start with sourcing. Um, and so it's um, there's a couple of different paths to go that way, right? And also just learning about the recruiting industry. Um, I think contingent recruiting and agency recruiting is very popular. It's one that people you know, think that that's what recruiting is. There are so many mm -hmm. other aspects in uh, you know, sort of sub-markets within the recruiting market and recruiting industry. Um, my particular... Yeah. Um, you know, my training was all executive retain search, which is completely different. It's like, it's a consulting gig, which happens to fill a role at the end, right? Sure. So 90% of it's consulting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say though, that regardless of which path you choose to go from rep to recruiter, there is something that someone told me once, and I'll never forget this. You have to decide which side you're on, whether you're on a, you know, going to be doing 
And what I mean by that is you're either going to have integrity in what you do or you're not. You're going to make money, I think, either way, but how you're going to make the money. Some of my best um, colleagues and contacts were, um, we were competing for the same deals, right? But I'll always have um, positive things to say about them because they showed up along with me, which means we're in the same market. And I would say that you have to decide early in your recruiting career, which way you're going to go. That's, I think the important lesson is integrity or you're going to win at all costs. Oh, so good. Great advice. Christine, can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing just an immense amount of wisdom with, with the listeners. If there's someone out there who wants to connect with you, uh, how can, how can folks find you on, on the interwebs? Uh, LinkedIn actually prospect. Yeah. Prospect, (laughs) you'll probably find me that way, but yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn is where I live. So (laughs) awesome. Well, I will, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to post a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Thanks again for coming on, Christine. Absolute pleasure as always. Thank you, Jesse. 